the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. We will be discussing men's issues, dating, relationships, sex, women, fitness, health, business, men's hobbies, men's rights, and more. She will be talking about excerpts from her men's book, Mastering Women, too. Google KMET Advocate and save to your favorites every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Calling all men. It's now your time for your show with your coach, the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. Relax, be heard, and be understood. It's a show where men can be men. Now here's the coach who has your back, Linda Gross. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. We have a great show in store for you today. We're going to be talking about It Pays to Lie, the fraud immunity adoption case with a grieved father, my guest, Rob Manzanares, and family law attorney, Wes Hutchins. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you, how are you guys today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. This is Rob. This is Wes Hutchins. I'm doing wonderful as well. Thank you. Awesome. All right, uh, my listeners, if you happen to have missed uh, last week's show, you can listen to um, all or part of uh, that show. And it is it was called, um, She Said This But Means That Part Two. So all the confusing <clears throat> things that women say, that they say one thing, but they really mean another you're going to get an action-packed show last week it's very easy to look up my old shows you just go to soundcloud if you just go to uh, google hit soundcloud uh, the men's advocate um, and you can pull up uh, this show as well as the previous shows all righty let's get into our topic here um, i'm i'm going to introduce uh, my guest today let's see here um his name is Rob Manzanares. Rob works uh, for a contractor uh, to the government at, a, at the biggest nuclear facility in the U.S. He has the highest government civilian clearance. Um, it's called a Q clearance. He can't really tell you what he does, um, but he's here with us today to share his story on um, his, fa- his father's rights were impaired on a custody uh, issue, actually an, an illegal adoption issue that we're going to be talking about in this program. He holds a uh, master's degree. He has a wonderful family. He's a father of two biological children. Um, His son lives with him currently with his uh, partner, um, also a daughter, and has two stepdaughters. Okay, and for Wes, Wes is his uh, family law attorney. Wes, actually, would you say a couple of words about uh, your background and bio, too, and how you're involved in the case? Yeah, I'd be glad to, but I can also tell you what Rob does. He moves mountains for his family. That's what he does. But, uh, <laughs> That's the truth. A, I've been an attorney for 23 years uh, here in Utah, and I've uh, been practicing in the area of adoption law and as a subspecialty, the rights of biological parents, mothers and fathers. Uh, I was with a downtown Salt Lake City firm for about 18 years. And then about seven years ago, I hung out a shingle after I nearly died in a four-wheeler accident. And uh, I've been uh, very happy with that. And uh, representing fathers in several different states in both the state and federal uh, court systems. Awesome. And you have an adoptive kid as well, don't you? Yes, I have that perspective uh, as an adoptive parent. Uh, we adopted her at five and she's now 11. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. All right, Rob. So tell us a little bit about uh, your case. The case started in Colorado, I believe. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what happened and how it got moved to Utah and what happened to you. Sure. Um, It started in 2008 when um, my girlfriend at the time and I were living together and we found out we were um, expecting a child. So, you know, you go through those those emotions of, you know, you're going to be a father and 
everything's happy. So we went to a few uh, doctor's appointments, uh, got a few ultrasounds, got to actually hear my daughter's heartbeat. And then about, I would say, three months into the pregnancy, things started to change. And that's where I started my fight. <clears throat> the um, My ex-girlfriend had moved out and decided that she wanted, felt um, that we had to both agree that we couldn't raise the child together. And me being shocked, um, did said, yeah, okay, well, you don't have to raise a child, but I will raise my child no matter what. So that's when the uh, talk of adoption started. So I uh, told her from day one that uh, I would fight it and I would not allow my child to be adopted. And I would do whatever I could to keep her or him at the time from that. So we break up. Um, she stops communication with me, which really brings a huge concern to me. So I did a lot of researching on the internet, trying to determine how how fathers have a right or how fathers have a fight in such a such cases where the uh, mother wants to adopt the child. And I found there's not a lot of avenues for fathers. So the next best thing to do was to hire an attorney. So I hired an attorney in Denver um, to help me through this to navigate the legal system. So we uh, were contacted by an adoption agency in in Denver, and my attorney had stopped that adoption. And we started following paperwork for paternity so that I could have rights to my child when um, he or she was born. So long story short, I, I filed a paternity action in Colorado with the uh, juvenile court. Um, the uh, mother to our child um, responded to that paternity action and uh, proclaimed me as the father and actually did ask the court to terminate my rights on the best interest of the child because she was going to go through with an adoption. So I filed that paternity action. I also filed an injunction to the adoption to try to stop any adoption that could happen anywhere, really, is what we thought. So uh, I got an email from her. She had started kind of talking to me again, and I had been paying child support and doctor bills and giving money where I could. Um, and she started talking to me once the money started coming in. And my last email from her was that I was nothing but a chromosome donor and that she was going to fly to Utah to see her sick father when she came back she would discuss it. We, we could sit down and discuss adoption again. Well, the chromosome donor and the leaving town really alarmed me knowing that she was far enough along where she probably could have the child. So that's when I had my attorney. Uh, I said, you know what? There's something wrong here. So we filed for an immediate um, declaration, declaration of my paternity action. And she did not show to the court hearing, obviously, because she was out of town um, adopting my daughter in the state of Utah. So unknown to me, uh, you know, I get, I get, um, she gets back from, uh, Utah and I, at this time still thought she was pregnant, but on the same day she's supposed to show in court in Colorado, she's filing for the adoption in Utah. So she gets back from Colorado and a coworker of hers, um, called me and informed me on the following Monday, she'd been gone a week that, uh, my ex was no longer carrying our child. So at that point, I about lost it. I was like something died in me. I was uh, just devastated. So I had my attorney act immediately, and we got in front of the court quickly, and that's where we found out that she had actually adopted the child in the state of Utah. So we rambled a little bit on in Colorado about the, um, the UCCJEA to determine if who had home state jurisdiction. And a lot of times the courts would – even when I went and fought in Utah, would throw their hands up in the air and say, I don't know. I've never seen a father you know, do all the things I, this father has done, protect his rights. There should be no adoption. But at the end of the day, Colorado said, you know what? Go fight it in Utah. So then I hired Utah counsel to represent me, and that's what started the four-year battle in Utah. So I went through, I would say so about – Let me interrupt you just half a second. Do they consider the home state to be – um, the state where the child is born or or the residency state? Correct. It's the actual state that the child was born. So in. she, at the last minute, goes to Utah, it'll go according to whatever the Utah laws are. Correct. That's the way they determined it in my case, determined the law in my case. Mm -hmm. um, and there was even a Utah judge who threw his hands up in the air and said, what if she had this child in an airplane? <coughs> who do we give home state jurisdiction to? It's kind of a little bit of a strange law in that retrospect. But I don't think a lot of judges see as many of, or see a lot of these illegal adoptions. So I fight for four years in Utah, and I eventually have my right – well, before the four years, and about two years into the fight, 
um, eventually had my rights terminated in the state of Utah. So I appealed that decision to the Utah Supreme Court. And uh, once we got through all the briefing, I waited about 15 months to have the Utah Supreme Court come back and say that um, my rights could not be terminated, that I had done everything right, and this was a clear-cut case of fraud, lies, and deceit to take me out of the take me out of the life of my daughter. But you know, now my daughter's four years old. So, and I have never met her, much less seen a picture of her. I think I met her for she was ordered to court when she was ten months old. Mm-hmm. And I got to hold her for 20 minutes um, outside of court with a bunch of attorneys and a bunch of uh, security and, and the family looking down, you know. So I did, get to, I did get to see there was a face with my daughter. But other than that, I, did, I saw nothing of her for the next, um, you know, three years. Wow. Um, so, I, uh, so I overturned the adoption in the state of Utah. And I believe, and Wes can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm one of the few fathers – from out of state that has actually overturned an adoption in the state of Utah. Um, so once that was overturned, I, I started my battle for custody of my daughter. But, you know, the courts at that point needed me to do reunification, which I did. So I got reunified with my daughter. Um, and it was just beautiful. And that's one of the one of the one of the most beautiful parts of my story is um, as I was reunifying with my daughter in the uh, therapist's office, um, she had not known I was her father yet. The therapist introduced me as a friend of his so that he could, we could start playing together. She could get accustomed. That's how reunification kind of goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but within 20 minutes of us playing in a dollhouse together, she looks me in the eyes and says, Daddy, where have you been? And it's just gut-wrenching because I was you know, on the floor. She's sitting, kind of sitting on my hip and just looks me in the eyes and says, Daddy, where have you been? She didn't really at that point know that I was her daddy. Well, she hadn't been told. So it just shows you that biological connection that children and adoptees and fathers share because she, for some odd reason, knew I was her dad. So from there on, you know, we got through the reunification therapy. Then I started gaining visitations to my daughter, started with, you know, as most fathers get, a couple hours supervised, a couple hours unsupervised, a day and one overnight to two overnights. So where the um, judge actually asked her to start coming to travel to my home state where I live now in New Mexico. So after that, you know, we decided, well, well, we need an actual order. I need to obtain my daughter. I need to bring her home. I need to have an order from the court to say that I am her father, which I am, but to stamp that so that she can come home and live with her biological family. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what brings me back to Colorado. So since my original paternity action was filed in Colorado, that's where the uh, where we decided to do the custody of my daughter, which really opened the door for the um, people who have my daughter to complete another lie and try to apply for another adoption in the state of Colorado. Well, Colorado was pretty savvy, and the judge was pretty quick to this, and he it was dismissed, but it still was the loss of time, you know, the life, that's what you, the, I keep comparing these cases and you lose time and time and time and time, you know, you get pushed back further and further and further and you keep losing time that you should be with your child. So finally we get an order from the court, from the juvenile court in uh, Colorado, which states that I have to share custody with the people who have had my daughter because they're the only family she's ever known. And it's in her best interests that we all share custody. Well, that was a big violation of my constitutional rights to my daughter, so I appealed that decision because it's really a dangerous decision for a lot of both biological mothers and fathers out there that are fighting for children because really in the state of Colorado, what the, they, the law says after six months, 182 days, anybody who's held custody or, or held guardianship or care, been, a, been a caretaker – to a child can apply for uh, custodial rights to that child. So we appealed that decision, and the appellant court decided that that was unconstitutional. And they based it on the fraud. That's one of the big components of my case is this, there's this big fraud component of lying and, 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 and pushing this through the court system, being unhonest to the judges and to the court system. So based on that, we went back to the Colorado Supreme Court. The, the family appealed it. And the uh, Colorado Supreme Court sent us back to the appellate court for another time, another time, and we re-stamped that order. It changed a little bit, but that kind of brings me to where I am now. 
So what I do have is I do have a outstanding out-of-state father's visitation uh, cuts the visitations to my daughter right now, and I do get to see her a lot, and she does know me as her daddy. Um, she's wonderful. You know, I get to see her for about five weeks in the summer, uh, every other, uh, uh, you know, Thanksgiving versus spring break, and once a month I get to go out to Utah and spend the weekend with her. But I don't think that that's constitutionally right in the sense of what my case has gone through because my daughter's feeling the uh, stress of having to have a family who's adopted her and a biological family um, here in, in New Mexico. So that kind of brings so, me to where I am now. So your thought is you want to have full custody of your daughter. Since your ex uh, gave your daughter up for adoption, meaning that she doesn't want her, you want to regain full custody of her. Is that where we're going? Right. And I never truly lost full custody of her. I just, yes, that's I, I want her to come home. I want my daughter to be home and to be in my family and raised by me, her biological father. Wes, can you speak to the fact that, you know, that some of the states have this rule of, uh, you know, if you if you're in the hands of the caretaker or the guardian or the or the custodial uh, adoptive parent for X amount of time, say in Colorado, uh, I think Rob mentioned 182 days. Why does that take precedence over the biological parent? It's like, yeah. uh, you know, un you know, I know there are some rules with regard to if you prove that the parent is unfit, meaning that there's a drug, drug abuse or substance abuse or, um, you know, physical violence, something like that. You, you prove the parent unfit. OK, I get it. But if if none of those rules apply, why does the guardianship, this other family take precedence over the biological father? It's really quite extraordinary, isn't it, Linda, to think about that? And um, I'm not sure how many states have what I'm going to refer to as an APR, an all allocation of parental rights uh, provision in their statute. But it presupposes, Linda, that those who gain custody, physical custody to begin with, whether it's a coach, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, um, it presupposes that they came by that custody, I'll use the, the word righteously. You know, they didn't deceive, they didn't defraud, they didn't misrepresent. And so it's, it's, it's pretty well established now that no legislature out there passed these laws with the intent that a person could lie, steal, and cheat their way into an adoptive placement and then, re and then maintain custody of that child once that fraud is uncovered. Unfortunately, what happened in Rob's case, which was improper and correct, with all due respect to the juvenile court judge, um, he found that Rob's daughter had formed a bond of love and affection with the adoptive parents, and therefore they were the quote-unquote psychological parents, and that to disrupt her placement with them, even though everyone admitted it was accomplished through fraud, would not work to her best interest. And that's where the uh, United States Supreme Court case of Troxel v. Uh, Granville, Troxel v. Granville, and it's known as the Troxel presumption, that's the U.S. Supreme Court case from the year 2000, says that biological parents have the presumptive right to determine what's in the best interest of the children, and that presumption's only overcome, just as you indicated, Linda, in the event that the unfitness or incompetence of the biological parent can be established by clear and convincing evidence. Right. Pretty strange. I think, you know, there, there are many, many things about the second wave of women's lib that occurred in the early 70s that I don't agree with. I think one amazing thing that occurred during that time is that dads have really, over the last uh, couple of decades, have really stepped up to the plate. Back then, the dads pretty much were not involved. If they, you know, if they didn't want the child right, right out of the gate, you know, they would get, get lost and, you know, be those deadbeat dads or those absent dads. We've come a long way since then, and maybe those laws were applicable, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. But today, more than ever, I do see that dads care. I do see that dads want to be a part of the child's life. 
I understand if the if the mother might be incapable or unwanting or unprepared to raise a child, but if she gives up her right, you know, the second right of refusal directly should go to the biological dad first before she makes a final decision to give it up for adoption. I, that's I think that's right. That's what a lot of these, I see, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of family law groups on yeah. Facebook and on social media. And that's the crux of where, where they want to go with this. They just want fairness. Right now, it's very uneven. It's very lopsided. And oftentimes, it gets ruled in the favor of the biological mom without, uh, you know, the, the husband, without the uh, biological fa- father's uh you know, disclosure. Yeah, uh, and, I know and, some. I know some states. They say you have X amount of days to respond. I'm thinking about putting my child up for adoption. Hey, uh, Mr. Biological Father, do you agree? And they have, you know, maybe 21 days or 30 days to um, respond to that. If they don't, they might lose their rights on it. But at least there, there should be an information process, some line of communication, even though the, the couple might not have any open lines of communication, there should be a line of communication between the biological parents and the court system. Yes. And you know what? They're real brief. Two comments. Two things that I'm very shocked about. Number one, I'm shocked that you're old enough to remember women's lib from the 70s. Judging by your picture, you look much younger. But the oh. second thing that I'm shocked about is that Utah, and it's the only state in the union that has this, has what's called a fraud immunity statute. And it says by law that anyone involved in placing a child for adoption can, that's without a negative there, that they can, they're permitted to commit fraud, deceit, misrepresentation to place that child for adoption. You can sue for money damages in civil court, but you can never undo the adoptive placement. You know, it just makes you scratch your head thinking, you know, anyone can come by your child in a non-legal manner and just, you know, basically house the child for X amount of time and be the declarative winner in the in the situation. You know, very even true. though there might have been mm-hmm. underhandedness or illegality <clears throat> in the case, people can and will and do do such things. So it's just mind boggling. We have to really strive to work together and work in numbers to kind of uh, overrule this. Um, yes. As I was going over your particular case, um, I was uh, informed that the the Mormon Church, Latter-day Saints, has something in their doctrine that specifically addresses this issue and why the state of Utah actually allows um, adoptions to be uh, procured fraudulently. And basically what they tell mothers is um, they can relinquish their infants for an adoption within 24 hours after birth, um, a period which many moms are still recovering from the labor, let alone from the the pain medications and the influx of post-delivery hormones in their systems, meaning they're, they're probably not, not in their right state of mind when they, when they make all these important right. life-changing decisions. And, you know, the LDS swoops that baby away and says, you know, you will be, uh, we, anyone who is a single mom, we want you to give up your child so we can put them in an adoptive phone, home of two parents. So that's the crux of, I think, what's going on in, in Rob's case here. And it's just, it just seems so wrong to, um, you know, I think we're supposed to be a country of separation of church and state, and it seems like it's anything but that. You know, it's like what the church wants, the church gets, and LDS is very powerful, and they are sort of getting, you know, they're the laws to go along with whatever their doctrine says. There's a lot of truth to that, Lynn, if, I, if you want me to address that. and Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, if any of the listeners out there want to confirm what I say, just go to Utah Code Annotated 78B-6-106. That's the fraud immunity statute. And in the interest of full disclosure, I'm very active LDS. I've served as a bishop twice. I've served in very high positions in the church, and I'm active to this day. I've been labeled because of my position on the rights of fathers as anti 
Mormon, anti-LDS, and anti-adoption. But as you mentioned before, we have adopted a child as well. Uh, what happens is in any large organization, you can have a few people who, in an ends-justifies-the-means approach, misinterpret the doctrine of the church. And what I think you've referred to is what's known as the family proclamation, which is a public document that the church came out with discussing the importance of family and that, two, uh, that children are entitled to be raised in two-parent homes. I believe that. I think that's correct. And I think the social sciences bear that out, that generally they're better off. But what that does not say is that you can steal a child from a single parent home in order to place that child into a two parent home. And I'm actually the attorney that has sued LDS Family Services in the past for racketeering because there has been fraudulent uh, practices in some of the LDS Family Services adoptions in the past, not all of them and not all agencies. I'm very pro-adoption in appropriate circumstances where it's done legally, ethically, and with the consent of all concerned. Do you, do you still represent uh, the church? I think you mentioned to me once before that you were formerly a bishop. Are, are you still involved in the church? Yes, I'm still involved with the church and I, the um, I, I'm involved with the church. Uh, I have a, a, a position in the church now, and I'm still mm -hmm. very active in the church and believe in its doctrines and its purest, purest form or forms, plural. Um, there are many people, however, who misinterpret those doctrines and apply them in ways that they were never intended to be applied. Right. So they're taking what the doctrine says and stretching it to their favor, so to speak. Correct. I do agree that the child is always, any child, is always better, emotionally better, um, in, in many ways, uh, financially better uh, when they're in a two-parent home. But to do so in fraudulent ways, you know, that has got to come to a stop. Well, and the other thing to remember really quick is that a single-parent home isn't always going to be a single-parent home. Rob, it was a single man, but he is in a partnership now and will one day be married. And so that stability does come in time. Right. Very much. Yes. Let's take a, a quick break right now. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're, we're currently talking to my guest, Rob Manzanares, and his attorney, Wes Hutchins. And we'll see you right back after the break. We'll talk more about uh, illegal adoptions and father's rights. You've heard her on the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. How can you help further? From her Facebook fan page of the same name. Hit the Shop Now button and save this link to your favorites. Make all your usual Amazon purchases and some of the revenue will support her show at no additional cost to you. No book purchase required. Just start with this link every time. The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross thanks you. Hey guys, want to go from cocky and confused to confident in four sessions or less? Linda Gross has done years of academic research combined with interviewing over 20,000 men. Tackle relationship issues, business goals, conflict resolution, and lifetime roadblocks that have kept you back. Realize the benefits now. Go to the Men's Advocate page slash coaching and you'll be on your way. That's www.themensadvocate.com slash coaching. The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. We will be discussing men's issues, dating, relationships, sex, women, fitness, health, business, men's hobbies, men's rights, and more. She will be talking about excerpts from her men's book, Mastering Women, too. Google KMET Advocate and save to your favorites every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. We proudly rejoin our programming with The Men's Advocate Show with your host, Linda Gross. On KMET, 1490 AM, Smart Talk.
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. We're talking today about it pays to lie. In the state of Utah, there's something called fraud immunity. We're talking about an adoption case where my guest today, Rob Manzanares, is an aggrieved father and is seeking full custody of his child that his uh, ex gave up for adoption. So um, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I think I, we actually have a uh, caller on the line. I want to bring in uh, Chris, and Chris is calling from Nova Scotia, Canada. So welcome, Chris. How are you today? Well, as everyone says when they ask me a question, I always say the truth. Um, you know, what can you feel like when you're fighting a battle like you're fighting Goliath, you know? Uh, Absolutely. I brought you on today because you have a lot of parallels to your case as Rob's case, who is my guest today. And you also have been fighting, uh, I think, a nine-year battle with with regard to your daughter. So briefly tell us what your case is about. Well, when I was listening to Rob, nobody to this day is touching on the facts. They, They seem to not know where the problem is. And I'm trying to say to you, I'll just give you an example. Um, I go to court. The judge hears the case. He gives me a court order to go pick up my child. The cop says, I'm not going to honor that. So you go back to court again. Eventually, the judge gets off the case. In comes another judge. The, the thing is, is that people are running after the wrong things. I'm going after the judges. The judge, everyone makes the judges sound like they're, they don't know nothing. The judges, as you know, through discoveries and stuff, they're fine. The judges are pretty corrupt. And I'm trying to tell you, that's where it started, because if I was that judge, common sense, a fifth grader would tell you, uh, let's go into court and ask the judge, bring this police officer in and ask him why he disrespected the law, saying he's not going to honor that court order. And so, so Wes, with regard wrong. to uh, Chris's case that we're talking to on the line right now, one of my listeners, um, after his court battle, he finally did get all the paperwork in order. He finally did get the judge to sign uh, custody over to the father. And it turns out that the police show up and the police don't honor the judge's orders. So that's what his case is now. I mean, it's like a never-ending never thing. It's like once you get through one hurdle... Um, you know, the police are not upholding the judge's orders. Well, I, I think uh, Chris's case is very unique in that regard. I don't encounter that uh, generally in the context of adoption and the disruption of adoptions. I think you encounter that in custody battles between ex-spouses. You know, the police will say, well, this is a civil matter. You guys got to go to court. It's very, very unusual for a police officer not to honor and enforce a validly issued court order. Right. Go, what I'm go ahead, Chris. You had some more thoughts on that topic, on your topic. Sorry? Go ahead, Chris. You had a couple more thoughts on your topic. Sure. What I'm saying, the reality is court orders are not being honored and respected. But in my case, I'm trying to say my math was taught by my parents who said, we got sisters and brothers, and mom and dad loves both of them the same. And when we go to school, we teach our daughters and sons the same thing. But then when you go out in the world, they're saying, because if marriage was going on a on the math, we'd go, okay, if we're going to get married, we're going to have a child. That's our child. But if you tell the man that if we have a child, you're not going to have that child, then there would be no marriages. So you're slid into this sly um, unreal situation. Uh, they all knows what they're doing if they're getting married, but you just don't get married and say all of a sudden this child is mine. That should be brought all up in front. What I'm trying to tell you, the problem is with the judges. It haven't got nothing to do with the parents. The judges allows the parents to do what they do. So they let this woman do everything she possibly could do, and they kept letting her go. My case was like I have no idea how many judges, probably seven judges, eight lawyers. It cost me um, uh, half a million dollar home. Now over here, my home would be like two million dollars over there. Um, half a million dollar home, a business. Uh, everything, eight years, and every eight years, every day, I can't tell you the pain I've been in. No one. It's the judge who's allowing it to happen. It is not the lawyers. It is not the parents. It's the judge who allows this parent because 
First of all, how did the mother get the child off the bat? They would have to prove you were a bad father. That's your civil rights. That's the Constitution. You've got a right to be that parent because they'll tell you all your life. You're a father. You have this right to take care of your child responsibilities. You take care of all of that. But the women, if you ask every woman, this is how I like to end off. You ask every woman, every man, if they believe in equality. And I'll guarantee you everyone will say yes. And I'll guarantee you... If they do, how come is not that when it comes to the reverse role of the parent? All of a sudden, the mother gets everything she works hard. It's a big job. Now, when the man is reversed, it still don't work. If you believe in equality, it has to be started right there by the parents. You have to love your two children the same way. The judges have to love the people the same way and respect both parents. That is law already. So is the judges that's breaking the law by allowing it to happen. It's no one else's problem, only the judges. And this is where we have to go after the judges. Chris, I love that argument of, you know, women wanting equality, but why is it equality just in their favor? <laughs> That's not uh, equality. Correct, I mean, it's, but they'll it's, also... Uh, I love that as a closing argument, and keep using that until you get it through their heads. But, honey, um, it's the right With regard thing. to your, your overall you point here, it begs the I question, also believe you should and do perhaps, this. Wes, uh, you can address this for us, is what are the judges or courts getting out of being partial to women? Well, they're getting lots of money. Uh, I sent you a video where someone just did a study in America where they said every case, that's all he studied, was judges. And every five minutes, the judge was breaking the law. That was a study done. And I'm telling you, what they get out of it, if you look into it uh, and listen to these people who's doing studies, it starts, because I just ask you, and, and the people, and Rob, where do you think it starts? I just told you, the judge... Allow, we make judges like they don't know what they're doing. And the judge makes us believe, wants us to believe they don't know what they're doing with the parents. The judge, I just told you a good example. If you add up all the cases for just court orders, they don't honor them. They don't bring in the policeman and say, hey, you just disrespected me as a judge. Uh, I can answer that question uh, if you'd like me to, Linda. Yeah, yes, please. Uh, like, you know, are there special at- interest groups that are lining the pockets of the judges or the courts? Well, I think that corruption does exist on some level. We're certainly not above that. But I think the major problem where Utah is concerned is that judges feel their hands are tied because of this fraud immunity statute. The legislature passed it. They say it's legal. And they're turning a blind eye to the greater constitutional and due process issues and essentially saying it's not our place to overturn the legislature and apply the law in some other way. But um, just as uh, Rob raised the question when we were off the air, there are other fathers who are gaining more traction and have had reversals of uh, the, 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 the dismissal of their paternity actions. Uh, individuals like Bobby Navarez, like Jacob Brooks, Chris Carlton, these are all three other fathers who are, were out of state and uh, lost their rights before the trial court, but the Utah Supreme Court reversed uh, the dismissal and found in favor of the fathers. Now get this, Chris Carlton is a military person who fights overseas for the rights and liberties of our citizens, and yet he's being deprived of his due process rights, because in his case, the the adoption agency coached his ex-girlfriend, the mother, to just go home and tell him that his baby died. Hence, wow. we're back, hence we're back, and while she was here, she placed the child for adoption, which was the truth. And hence, we're back to the fraud immunity statute. And those that opposed Chris in establishing his paternity actually cited to that statute. Look, it doesn't matter if she lied. It doesn't matter if the adoption agency lied, because you can sue for money damages, but you can't undo the adoption. Just outrageous to me. Um, in closing, uh, my, my uh, caller, Chris, out, I want, he's a very talented artist. I wanted to play uh, a little clip of his song. The name of the song is Look at Me, Look at You. He wrote this song with regard to his case and uh, his daughter. How can you just take our world and tear it all apart? There's a little girl whose world is in our hands How can I explain to her what we're going through 
Look at me and her. Look at you. By the way, as always, I will uh, post on my Facebook fan page, which is the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. Uh, click the like button, the like page button, if you haven't done so already, and then click it a second time to allow notifications. I will um, put uh, Chris's song up there, and any and all links that we talk about on today's show will be on the Facebook fan page for you later. So thank you, Chris. I'm going to bid you adieu right now, and uh, we're, we're going to go back to uh, Rob's case and talking about his adoption um, ad- adoption situation. I-, I thank you very much for calling, and we'll see you around real soon. Okay, so I'll um, give a chance to talk some more, right? Thank you. Uh, I want to talk about um, paternity as well. Uh, I know Co- Rob was mentioning to me uh, off air that uh, in, luckily in the state of Colorado, and I know most states are not this generous, is that there is an, as, an assumption of paternity in the state of Cal- uh, Colorado. Uh, I think maybe you either have to declare it and file forms with the uh, uh, Department of Registrar of Vital Statistics, or you or you can take a DNA test, but uh, uh, the biological father does have rights. In some states, the other extreme of that, like say, for example, the state of uh, South Carolina, the father has no rights. If the father is not married to the mother, he has no rights. He has no rights with regard to whether she wants to give the child up for adoption. He has no rights with regard to uh, you know visitation or future custody. So it's just all over the map. You, you have one extreme or the other. Um, what's, what are fathers supposed to do? How can they best help this cause to help overturn some of these uh, laws that are just kind of don't make any sense anymore and they're outdated and they need to be updated? Is that a question for Rob or me, Linda? Either one. Rob, <laughs> go ahead and take it if you want. You can well, keep your layman's uh, sure. expression uh, of it. Yes, I think we need to start. We, well, we try, but we need to stand together. I think the entire adoption industry... <clears throat> and I call it the industry because um, of the profits that are gained from adoption, we need to stand together. Birth mothers, birth fathers, I don't like even calling us that, but fathers and mothers who have been um, stripped of their rights to their children. There's mothers, like you said, within 24 hours of giving birth have their children stripped for them when they don't even know what they're signing. We're seeing so many of those cases come to light. We're seeing fathers like myself um, who want nothing more than to be a father to their child. And I think what has to happen is we need to change the laws. We need to go further than the states. We need to go to Washington, D.C. and say, look, do you understand what is happening here? The Constitution is not being taken – it's to be being taken too lightly because as it stands, my constitutional rights have been violated as a citizen. And my daughter's constitutional rights have been violated as well. It clearly says that she should be in my care. They can't prove me unfit. They can't do any of the things they want to do or try to do. Um, and they, I'm fighting a battle that's cost hundreds of thousands of dollars that it didn't need to cost. Um, my case should have been over within the first 30 days of my daughter being born. But yet the court system fumbled it and rambled me on through you know years of, of, of litigation to get where I am now. I mean, my daughter's eight years old. I mean, so she's, she's not getting younger. So, and I've missed so much of her life and so many of us parents are missing our children's lives. I don't know what my daughter's first word was. I don't know what age she took her first step. I don't know her first smile. You know, I've missed all those things. And those are things you don't ever get back as a parent. You, you know, nothing, and nothing, you know, nothing cures the pain of missing those things. So I I think standing together, I mean, and it's tough because we all come from different states. We all come from different backgrounds, different personalities. And it's really tough to get people to stand together to fight for one cause. And that's for all um, biological parents to have rights to their children. Absolutely. It's almost like uh, it's the opposite of how a criminal case is handled. You know, in in crim law, you are... um, you are innocent until proven guilty and it seems like with the biological fathers you you are assumed to not be the father not be the custodial parent and you sort of have to prove to the court your constitutional rights that already should be there and that was one of the biggest errors in my case and that's what we're getting remanded back to one of the remanding issues back to the uh 
juvenile court is the judge made me prove myself. I shouldn't have had to do that. Right. I should have had a presumption, which is called the Troxel presumption, as Wes talked about. That was my presumption that I am in the best interest of my daughter. I didn't have to prove anything. didn't matter that she was with away from me for eight years. We've seen a case uh, where a father was incarcerated for nine years, and his daughter was in foster care, and he had no contact with her. But through the Troxel presumption, in this case is out of Tennessee, he gets his daughter back, no questions asked. And yet I'm fighting, you know, and not that it means anything that he was incarcerated to me, but, you know, I haven't been incarcerated. I'm a good tax, you know, paying. I work for the government, you know, for the protection of the United States of America. And I am fighting so hard to have my daughter home, which it should have never been taken away from me. It's just completely outrageous. It's uh, (laughs) I, I hate hearing stuff like this. I really do. But, you know, I think... When it does not, it does not go successfully in court. Probably the best way to have an grievance is to do it publicly, and one way to do it publicly is through the media or through social and or social media, because when it gets, uh, you know, to the ears of the average public, then that's when you can, you know, go up in arms with regard to numbers count. So um, I'm sorry that you've had to go through this horror. Hor- whole ordeal it's almost like they're going to draw this out until she's 18 years old and then it won't matter anymore you'll have you know full rights to her (laughs) i mean i pray that that's not the case but it's 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 like a game that they're playing and you know it's a game of your emotions and your daughter's emotions and it's a game that should not be played in my opinion well, and I think that, that that brings us to the point of what you know what a lot of adoptees go through, and that's always wanting to know their biological parent and the reasons why. And I really, really dread the day when my daughter finds out the actual truth in what has happened. And it'll be best if she finds that truth out in my care and in my custody, so I can help her through the situation and explain to her and not lie to her and continue to lie to her as to what's happened to her because I've never lied. I've, I've filed my paperwork right. I've done everything correctly. And in fact, where the judge even goes, I've gone as far as being my battle has been epic in the fight for my daughter. Um, so, you know, I've done things right, but what do we do when she's old enough to understand this? And she's with the other family suppose, at this time and she has to be told that, well, we lied. We lied to you. We kept you be against your father's will. Yes, that has to have a psychological impact on the child as well. Yes. You know, while the adults are doing all these shenanigans, you know, how is that affecting the child? And it absolutely will, will and does affect the child. Well, an important fact, Linda, to point out here that Rob hasn't mentioned because there's so much, and that is that the biological mother placed uh, Rob's daughter for adoption with her brother, and her sister-in-law. So this was a family adoption, basically, as I have come to understand it, a sham adoption to allow her to still have a relationship with their daughter, uh, but to try and cut Rob out of the picture. Right. Right. Oof. Anyway, I wanted to give a couple of uh, shout-outs. Um, Rob is uh, currently uh, a big brother um, to a troubled uh, teen. Um, he's with the organization Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America, so he wanted to give them a shout-out. Also, I want to give a shout-out to many of my father's groups. Um, on Father's Day, actually the, the Friday before Father's Day, which is June 17, many states across the country are um, holding a protest and a rally outside the the courthouse uh, at the state capitol, the individual state capitals. And if you can't go to the state capitol, there probably is a family law court that's in your jurisdiction, right in your um, region, that you can that you can also go to. So uh, support the cause. Get involved with with other fathers' uh, rights groups if you're a listener, and uh, the numbers really do count. Um, With regard to uh, next week's show, we're going to be talking about um, everything you have been told is a lie. 
meaning uh, we're going to have my guest on, um, uh, military man Terry L. Steele, and he's talking about what the media portrays and what how they brainwash men with regard to how women are and with regard to uh, dating and relationships and so forth. So he's going to break up all of those myths that men have been hearing, and that's going to be a great and juicy show as well. Um, all righty. So, uh, Wes and Rob, if you just take a half a second, um, now we, we usually do the segment of my show called Rideshare Rants, and I have uh, one of my drivers on the line, and he's going to tell us about his uh, story of the week. So go ahead, please. Hi, Linda. It's me, Rich. It's interesting what you were just talking about. With, Thank uh, you. Yeah, with what men were just programmed to hear what women want. Of course, I think women are the same. I mean, they have, this, they have similar expectations. So I was telling you, uh, one time I was picking some woman up, and she, this was her, well, I would say girl, it was, her first, it was her first time going out since she since she had her kid. <clears throat> she was showing me pictures of her. Now, yeah, he looks fine, blah, blah. blah. So, and then a friend of mine called. A friend of mine who was also in a committed relationship, and I introduced them and said, Hey, Gary, this is so-and-so, so-and-so, this is Gary. And they started talking to each other, and they were flirting, even though they were in relationships. And I I chimed in here and there, and then the conversation ended. We were still driving, and then she says to me, I had no idea you were straight. And I thought, well, that's interesting. What, what was that? She, I go, well, I guess you weren't douchey enough. To be straight because I wasn't spitting any game I wasn't trying to pick up on her or anything you know right and and what and what guy in their in their right mind would actually ref, you know if, especially if she's good looking refer <laughs> your friend to her right why not just right. hit on her directly like why would you bother referring your your friend to this person right. and by the way I, you know to add insult to injury they were both in respective relationships themselves so who's calling who douchey i mean isn't she the douchey one <laughs> kind of funny i love your story richie thank you so much for calling and call again and uh, it absolutely does dovetail into my topic for ne next week with regard to the brainwashing that men have to uh subject them subject themselves uh to from the the media and the public so it'll be a good one for next week all right as we rejoin and close out this hour this hour went by way way too fast. I could have used <laughs> another couple of hours. Um, but uh, please give us, uh, Rob and Wes, please give us your contact information. I know, um, Wes, you're also a part of uh, a special Facebook group, so give us the, the links on those, and I will post those as well on my yeah, Facebook page. very well. It's uh, Birth Fathers United. Birth Fathers is one word, and then United. And I've also got a page for my business, under Wesley, initial D for Dean Hutchins. I also give out my cell phone freely, which is 801-870-9126, and people can text me. Awesome. And you, you're exclusively uh, doing family rights, is that right? I do have some others, other areas of the law, but the vast majority, the vast majority of what I do is family law and father's rights. Okay. And you're licensed in the state of Utah and the other states? I have been entered to practice in a number of other states in that area of expertise uh, when I can find local counsel who serves as essentially a mailbox in those states. Awesome. So use uh, use Wes as your pivot point. Let's start with that. And he'll, you know, if, he, if it's not in his jurisdiction, he'll still help you out. Thank you to both of my guests. We will see you uh, next week, same time, same place, every Wednesday. That's going to be uh, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern.